It's Fangirl Chat with Teresa Delgado and Trisha Barr. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Fangirl Chat. I am one of your hosts, Teresa Delgado. With me is my always awesome co-host, Trisha Barr. Welcome, Trisha. How was your Thanksgiving? I'm still rolling in turkey. Me too. It was really, really nummy. (laughs) (laughs) If I do say so myself. Did you cook it? (laughs) I did. I cooked it. Oh, wow. See, I didn't cook. I um, played with a light bright. With my nephew, while other people cooked the food, I, I did not hunt it and pluck it and kill it like Katniss, but I I did cook it, so I feel like I accomplished something. But this is us back again, closing out the Hunger Games with our guests for the last two episodes that we talked about this. So welcome, Riley and Bethany from Star Wars Report. Well, hello. Hey, hey, thanks for having a, us on again. A view hello. A view hello. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. <laughs> we need a little humor maybe in this in this uh, discussion. So, But to frame it for people who haven't heard our previous two discussions, Bethany read the books. Riley, you learned this through the movies, right? You experienced it only through the movies. Through great personal sacrifice. <laughs> yep. I, I, want you to, I want you to know that um, I struggled through not reading any of the books and just uh, watched these movies like a normie. Like a normie. Hey, can I just say, when anybody says that, um, like a normie, it reminds me of Cheers, like Norm from Cheers. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's a very weird image in my head. It's a favorite phrase of mine. I don't know why. <laughs> can, I, can I totally show my non-millennial side and ask what a normie is? Oh, absolutely. Like a normal person. <laughs> so I have to keep doing this on podcasts. What's your number sign? What's your hashtag? <laughs> so, okay. I'm, like the, I'm like the voice of the old people who don't understand the language. I was guessing that, too, but I went to normie as well for cheers. So... You know, there's another phrase, and this is kind of off topic, but I might try to use it. Um, Kids today, like the kids I teach, instead of saying, like agreeing with somebody and saying, you know, me too, they just say same. So, like, if I had agreed with you, I'd be like, same. See, I don't approve of this. I I can go for me, but (laughs) I draw the line. Riley just came out. I draw the line at same. (laughs) Old Riley. Let Jeff, me tell you, you these know. kids out there. <laughs> kids these days. Guys, <gasps> the Her Universe Ewok hooded tank is on sale for half off right now. <laughs> oh, hey, man. Bethany? Yes. Turn off the internet. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and the one shame was they never had. Her Hunger Games stuff in her universe. I, I know. Oh, that bums me out. Bums me out. So, all right. So, how many times has everybody seen it? I've seen it twice. Twice. Just once. 
onesies. Onesies. <laughs> and the only time you'll ever see it. Um, I'm just guessing based off of pre-show um, statements. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might as well ask Riley the big question. Was he shocked with the outcome of the um, I'm gonna, Katniss? I'm going to jump in right here and just say what needs to happen for the greater good. <laughs> Not unlike the death of President Snow. Riley needs to be the last one to give his opinion here. <laughs> Everyone else, give a, your overall thoughts, because I have thoughts, and I will totally color the conversation in a way that I think is totally unfair. No, actually, it'd be good to hear your thoughts, because I think we have different, we have, we've, I don't know, we probably all have different opinions, but yeah, go for it. Um, see that, actually, I should have known this was coming up by saying it. I should have just done the polite things. Like, oh, um, Bethany, what are your thoughts? Instead of making a big dramatic statement about it. Now I've got myself in the corner. Um, it's, and it is going to be kind of weird for me because I feel like to do an appropriate job of, I think, illustrating uh, my, my reactions to the story is uh, I really needed to have seen it a few times because I feel like I'm coming to the table a little ill-informed because I haven't read the books and I've only seen each film once. But um, I will say this. I remember when the film first came out, and um, it was a movie that I was so interested in the in the plot because what I wanted to know what these twelve districts were. I was, you know, Katniss is a very engaging lead character and very, um, very, I guess, just engaging in the trailers. And and I just remember wanting to see the, the original Hunger Games and being so excited and showing up to a theater opening weekend. I think it was on a Saturday with Bethany and my mom. We all went to go see it. And that theater was just absolutely packed. Uh, we had to sit in the back left corner of the screen. It was the biggest and most full theater I've ever been in, still to this day, and probably in, uh, and will be until December 17th. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, but I, I but I remember that because the intrigue of this world that that was somehow you know vaguely hinted at that was once ours had fallen into this twisted totalitarian society where people watched kids fight for entertainment and they just justified it morally as this weirdly perverse modernistic gladiatorial combat and that first film was just riveting and it's hard to watch i mean it was so hard to watch because instead of just kind of trivializing people watching kids fight in gladiatorial style combat with all of the wickedness that comes with modern torture weapon systems in these weird arena technological arenas we see we sympathize because it's so well executed it's so well done it, you, it's it's not trivializing it, but it's actually making the case for what is wrong with this society. And when it comes to time, when it comes time to fight back, this is a society that we can justifiably detest. Now, throughout the series, I feel like The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 ends in a culmination of me absolutely loving this world, absolutely loving Katniss, but absolutely... Uh, devastated that we did not get to see the righteous war 
that was necessary to destroy this society that somehow thought that it was acceptable that Rue died. I'm still getting over it. So, <laughs> fast forward to this movie, and I, uh, as I watch it, I, it, it stays so focused on Katniss's relationships with the other characters without connecting that to the central driving evil that we got a, a taste of uh, in the first film, that we never get to see the war. We never get to see people fight back. We never get to see uh, what anyone else is doing. We, we, we follow Katniss specifically, and I feel like the structure of the film really loses itself because unlike an epic tale like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter um, or the original trilogy of Star Wars, Instead of this great grand battle that's fighting for the you know, salvation of the galaxy or the salvation of all the muggles or the salvation of Middle Earth, we get lost in a quagmire of, uh, and I'll say it, poor, poorly dramatized um, interpersonal tension between characters that I never was able to fully, and I, I will say certainly partially, but never fully able to really connect with, so that I remember looking over at Bethany thinking, how did I like a movie this much that I wanted to love, right? I absolutely liked this movie a lot, but I feel like there was such a potential for this world that has been built. Well, I'm going to interject here. But, well, actually, and that's, I, think, I think that's pretty much an accurate picture of, of my takeaway. Sorry. There you go. I'm going to interject because what raised on you know, kind of these stories like Star Wars, where we believe that there was, you know, a, a big explosion of a Death Star, not once, but twice, that ended a war. And now we're coming into the new movies, knowing that the from the journey to The Force Awakens, that, that there is no one big moment that ends a war. And knowing that this is a generation of storytellers that grew up on Vietnam. Yeah. As their war, uh, as opposed to World War Two or World War One, where there was more of a definitive victory, um, and we also we now have you know more conflict that that America is engaged in these, that these storytellers are familiar with, that there is no grand firing shot that will end anything. This to me becomes a very true movie to what war is and. You know, we see campaigns now about, you know, trying to get veterans. What is it? 26 veterans a day commit suicide is what the ad I saw. Yes. Um, so we're talking about the struggle just of the human being to come through it. And I appreciated that they they never gave in to the sort of um, the plays of war movies, which is to have a big epic battle and to come out on the other side. They always pushed you back to Katniss. They always made you slow down and think about what was happening in the movie. So it it's not, and it's funny too, because even the people who read the books, there wasn't this grand excitement because everybody knew sort of how it was going to end. There was no woohoo at the end of the book. So even the people who loved it, a lot of them didn't really, this wasn't their favorite book either because it didn't, it didn't give you all the other stuff. But I do appreciate that, they pulled back on their marketing on this. They pulled back on the branding and sort of let the movie speak for itself. And 
didn't do what, you know, because a lot of people complained in Catching Fire. There was too much marketing and too much trying to make money off the everything, licensing and everything else. So maybe, Bethany, what was your thoughts having read it? <laughs> well, I came at it from a different perspective than Riley because in the books, Katniss is never portrayed as a, a pure hero. I'll put it that way. Uh, she, in some ways, is very selfish in that, like all of us, she wants her family to survive. She wants to survive this war, and the only reason she's fighting is because she has no hope in letting things continue as they are. You know, she she says, even in the movies, time and again, she's like, let's just all run away and try to escape. <laughs> So she is she's not out there wanting to politically change everything. She's doing so as a last resort. And it shows that uh to me her character is very good because she does these things even though she doesn't want to. Um so Katniss is very much a a pawn in this movie and she's come to realize it and that's why she she is being shipped around um, and led to believe uh, whatever President Snow and I just completely blanked on her name. President Coin. Thank you. And President Coin want her to believe is a propaganda war between essentially two Emperor Palpatines, <laughs> and uh, Katniss is a pawn caught in the middle, and Coin is trying to control her. Um, so that's why Katniss is isolated. She's isolated from everybody but her friends because if Coin tried to keep her from her friends, Katniss would just outright rebel. Um, so that's that's kind of how I saw it. However, it doesn't really solve the overall problem of we don't get to see the overall war as much as I think would have been good. Well, and, okay, so I had a couple of thoughts when Riley was talking about, you know, seeing the overall war and everything, and I guess the thing that I hate to break it to you, Riley, but the story is about Katniss, and in the books, it is all told from her first person, or like her third person, whatever you call that, Trisha, I don't know what it is, help me here. You're um, right, first person, first, yeah, you had it right. First person, and we don't really see the war because everything is focused on her you know she doesn't know what's going on in the war because the story is all about you know what she's trying to do and what she's trying to accomplish so in the vein of like whether or not they stuck to the book they did there's um and I, I have this pulled up and I'll you know talk about it as we go through but there's really only about 10 to 13 big things that they changed and they aren't even that big of things. Um, there's one specific scene as we're talking about the not seeing the war that they did change, which is the emotional moment when Prim dies. Um, there is a lot more in that scene as far as what is going on around her and the war that's happening. And it is a lot more emotionally drawn out and you really feel it. Whereas in this, in the film, it happened very quickly and it was just sort of over. Um, that's one area that they did change some things, but as far as they stayed pretty darn true to the book. Well, do you think that she, I thought, I mean, a lot of people complained in the book that she was, 
kind of very passive and drugged out most of Mm -hmm. the book. And we just, we actually saw some of the things that we didn't, you know, they gave her more agency, I guess. They made her more active in the movie than she was in in the book, at least. Um, That's how I felt because I remember at times being like, oh man, we missed whole sections just because she was in a a morphling induced stupor. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, is that, and that really is, in the book, there's a lot more stuff going on. I mean, like, one, another one of the changes that that they made, when those bombs go off and, and Prim dies and she's recovering, they go on and on and on for a while, talking about, you know, her skin oozing and bleeding and stuff from the burns, you know, there's like... There's a lot more detail about that that they don't really talk about. In the book, it, or in the movie, it's just sort of like, okay, it happened, she burned, blah, 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 it's over. Um, you know, so there are there are some of those things. And I, I think Buttercup should get Best Supporting Actor. Seriously. <laughs> that was, because obviously we don't, you don't really see the impact of what happened until she goes home and starts yelling at the cat, who's like, Okay, uh, you can yell at me, but I still want to snuggle with you. That was a great so. moment. <laughs> I appreciate they put a, a buttercup back in that was the right color. <laughs> so let's talk about this for a minute. Uh, Riley, when we left with Mockingjay Part 1, um, you know, PETA had just freaked out on on Katniss. And can you remember what your thought process was when you saw that for the first time? No, that was that totally, totally took me by surprise in the best of ways because it perfectly I had it. At in him the, after, like, because it was it was the exact perfect amount of like hinting with kind of the gaunt faces and the interviews he was giving. Right in the back of my brain, it's like, yeah, he's probably being beat up some. But then, of course, I didn't think. I thought I was thinking like in the back of my mind, maybe some torture and stuff, not like full on mind manipulation. So like that last scene was. Uh, a cliffhanger in the best uh, best sense that we don't really get to see in movies that often. I really like that. I, I, and I'd actually dare to say, unlike a lot of the, um, the twists towards the end of uh, Mockingjay Part 2, I saw, I started to see a lot of those coming, but but this that one I did not see coming at all. Okay, so when we get into um, when we get into Mockingjay Part 2, like, do you feel like the momentum from the film would have been better had you seen that whole scene all together? You know, like, if you, because I feel like if I had watched Mockingjay Part 1 and if Part 2, if it was all just one film, I feel like Mockingjay Part 2 would start a lot better because you've already got that momentum of her almost being choked to death. You know, it would just kind of gel like yeah, the I, energy, I could see. I could see that. I, I think for me, it was more a matter of um, really inconsistent, um, uh, seemingly inconsistent uh, motivations uh, that, upon reflection, made sense. So I actually have to give them uh, give them credit here. I don't know if this is a part of the plot of the book, but you you're sitting there as an audience member thinking, why on earth is Peta on this mission with? <laughs> And you're like, sort of think, oh, wait, I think I'm starting to get it now. All right. So this, I kind of see that, see what happened. But I, I feel like um, I, I, part of me wonders, though, if there wasn't uh, maybe a bit more of a missed opportunity or maybe the book uh, emphasized this a little bit better. But I kind of felt like outside of 
one or two brief moments, I think, towards the beginning, I really didn't get much of a sense of tension that Peter was actually going to do something to hurt Katniss. Yeah, they really didn't. And that they have a lot more time in the book to sort of build that to where you are kind of afraid of him or whatever. But what's very interesting, and I think we've talked about this before, Tricia, is like whether we're Team Gale or Team Peta. I think we've talked about this before. I don't remember what we said. But when I read the books, I was very much like Team Gale. But Mm -hmm. in the movies, I'm Peta like all the way. (laughs) I don't know. There's just something about the end. You know, and I hadn't read it in a while, so we get to the end. And I just just was like, oh, thank God. Yeah, there's a. I was Team Gale, but there's a good Entertainment Weekly article that talks about that the books are way better than the movie could ever be, and they're just describing passages where, like when they bomb the the mountain and in District Two, and they're you know her face says it all. Like in her, it, that is almost the same conversation where she's like, "How could you just you know drop leave people to die that are innocent and." and Gail's like, well, you know, Snow took the rules of war away, so this is, you know, we'll do to them what they did to us. And you could see it in her face as they're bombing, and she's realizing that Gail's going, he's becoming the monster that's willing to do a Hunger Games, to do anything to not have a, to win a war, essentially, which is, uh, you know, it was just this kind of, you could see her, And also it was winter. I saw a couple of people say, well, they never played out that she chose somebody. And I'm like, oh, there's that scene when he walks in and she just says goodbye to Gail. And she's like, says goodbye, Gail. I think that's pretty much like, I don't want to ever see you again. And, you know, it's, I almost think they gave him a bigger pass in the movie than they did in the books. In the books, it seems pretty much like she believes. He's the one who masterminded this plan. That... I was going to say, in the book, was was it Gale who was the one who came up with the idea, or he was just kind of okay with it? Uh, Gale's the one who came up with that delayed bomb. So that's kind of like, that's why she asked, like, you know, if it was your idea or whatever, because he'd come up with this bomb design. And that's and you might the bomb not... that kills yeah. Prim. And they talk about it. BT and him talk about it on the way to District 2 mm-hmm. in the mission. So some people might have missed that that was essentially the setup that leads to Katniss realizing that it's his idea that led to this butterfly trap, essentially, where you, you know, bring, draw people in and then you let you have a secondary bomb to capture as many, you know, casualties on the side. You know, my husband made an interesting comment. He said that to him, in his eyes, when he saw Gail in this movie, Gail did like an Anakin. He pulled an Anakin. <laughs> like he... You know, was good, wanted to leave, wanted to get away from all this, didn't want to be a part of it, and then gets pulled into it and suddenly becomes this mastermind of the dark side. Yeah. You know. Well, I feel like, and then there was another, and this may have just been time as an issue, but with that that whole plot of um, Prim's death and the bomb that went off, and that that was a great motivating factor, but there was so little buildup to it that it actually took me a second to kind of piece together what what just happened and what it meant um mm-hmm. and and it because like oh yeah that's right the bomb that they mentioned but it was instead of like they could have gone the, a whole full-on manhattan project yeah this- well in the yeah the little girl in the in the book that's in the yellow outfit that might 
see her in the crowd that you kind of get the in the book they just she describes in great detail how that little girl gets murdered in the whole i mean it's like there's blood on her and all sorts of stuff and they didn't even show yeah any of the you know they don't that actually i think they show the little girl still kind of screaming in yeah. the crowd they don't show her get mowed down and what they didn't also they also didn't show a scene that happens um in that exact same um period of time when there is somebody who does recognize her and Katniss kills that person. Mm-hmm. Katniss in cold blood kills that person that recognizes her. Um, and they didn't put that in the film either. But they did have moments like that in the film. Just, um, you know, you know Gail isn't the only one who has a bit of the dark side during the film. And I, I think they did a very good job of showing you can't put characters, especially characters as young as these, in the situations that they're put in and expect them to emerge on the other side with an, an unscathed psyche. Uh, Katniss is so cold and so obviously suffering from PTSD uh, throughout the film. And as well as PETA, obviously with a complete mental and psychotic breakdown. Um, and Gail responds more by to him, the greater good is important enough to justify uh, the, I, I guess, the butterfly effect, as what you call it. And so you see all of these characters uh, become, in some ways, worse, worse versions of themselves. Um, and I actually, I really like that about the film. I mean, it was, it was sad to watch, but uh, it's, it's very realistic. And if it helps people understand... Um, what soldiers go through, I think that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a scene that happens in the movie, which, um, Riley, you wouldn't know any different. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, what did you think about the scene with Katniss getting the letter from from Plutarch? How did you feel about that? I don't remember it. after she shoots shoots, um president coin and she gets dragged away and then hamich comes in and reads this letter from plutarch okay i just remembered the voiceover yeah yeah um man that was that actually did a whole lot to um i think clarify a lot of the motivations of the different parties and i think um actually at the right at the end of the i will say this like the last 10 minutes of the of the film uh, took me from like a, a D plus to a B plus, right? In terms of like if I were giving it a letter grade, because <laughs> it wrapped up really nicely, and I loved everything from the delivering of the letter all the way to, um, you know, seeing uh, an older Peta and Katniss at the end as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, um, in the book, Riley, it's not a letter. Plutarch actually goes to see her. Um, but we have a problem because Philip yes. Seymour Hoffman died before they filmed that scene. So they had to come up with a way to do it. Um, and it was done in letter format. So I'm glad that it still had the same impact because it was the exact same wording um, from the book that he would have said to her. Um, you know, it changed around a little bit, but he had the same message. Um, but it would have been him actually in the room. Can I just say Plutarch is is scary but awesome like yeah. <laughs> he's the political mastermind he's willing to get pretty manipulative and dark did plutarch it, it really the, is. West, the bomb well did plutarch what 
condone the bomb. Well, there's the implication that he's pulling a lot of the strings in this, and they and it was such a big, hard message, and they thought it was the Capitol who did it, and not Coin. So the everybody who was on Snow's side laid down their weapons. What he's the games maker, and he's the one who's been playing the game. He's manip- he's even manipulating Coin at some point, mm-hmm. ba- based on that on his letter. Uh, you know the the bigger I, the bigger question is some people are like, well, then that makes Plutarch essentially the 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 person in, who has all the agency in the story because he's manipulating everything. Um, yeah. But I guess that's more it's more just to me that you know somebody's always going to be pulling your strings. It's a matter whether you can get to the other side of it still being yourself. And, and see, the fascinating thing to me about Plutarch, at least in the film, is. It seems like at some point he gets to realize Coin's true self. You mm-hmm. see it in this scene where she's talking about Katniss and talking about bringing her back under control. You can see it in his expression that he just doesn't like it. Um, and while, while, you know, I can't say that it's a morally good thing that he let things play out the way that he did, he maneuvered it to where he was positive that Katniss would do something about Coin. And in a way, I like that. It, it was like yeah, he, that was good. he set a, he <clears throat> things up to where he made sure that Katniss would be able to make a move on Coin because at this point, Coin would be probably not any better than Snow. Well, no, she wouldn't have been any better than Snow. I mean, and I think that that Plutarch was was banking on the fact that Katniss would realize that it was basically trading out one dictator for another. And right. that Katniss, maybe not knowing all of the political implications of what would happen, that um, Lieutenant Paler and everything would come into power, but, you know, that Katniss would do what needed to be done to get rid of the dictatorship so that a true, you know, um, democracy could could form. And that Katniss was the only one that could do that because she just, in her essence of her being, hates people that are trying to be controlling. And so he was just like, you know, fingers crossed that he knew she was going to do it. Right. And to me, the the part about him that shows that he's good is, um, I don't remember the, the name of the rebel leader, the female rebel leader, but the fact That's that Paler. He, yeah. The fact that he backed her up uh, and helped her gain office. And she seems like a moral and reasonable person who also has the guts to lead. So that to me showed that, that Plutarch's end game um, was a good one, even if a lot of his methods are really iffy. <laughs> Let's just all take a, a moment to appreciate the greatest actor in this entire movie series, and that is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Although Woody Harrelson is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I I was dying that I just wanted to see his expression when she said she was voting for the Hunger Games, and he says for Prim, and he says I'm with the Mockingjay because they had set that up in Mockingjay Part One, where he said, you know, he said you're not the Mockingjay, you're Katniss, mm-hmm. and so he he, it's like that moment when he realizes that oh man, she's going to do something really crazy, and one thing that they changed from the books was we don't see Joanna and Katniss training no, to be yeah. the star squad, but she gets that great moment where she sets it up. It's all you have to be willing 
is to get close enough to the president, you know, that you're willing to sacrifice yourself. That sets up the whole thought process for her. And, you know, it was interesting because the trailers, if you hadn't read the book, they're all about, they keep showing Katniss saying, kill, kill snow, kill snow, kill snow. And, you know, that motivation and that's her whole motivation to go into the Capitol is to get in there and then, you know, things change. So as far as some other things that they changed um, from the book, there's just some little things that don't really matter. But you actually brought up one of them, um, Tricia, which is the training scene. Um, there's also no like the scene where they go to President Snow and there's that dinner. Um, there's no such guy as this Antonius person that he kills. That that doesn't happen. So it was just kind of an interesting. I don't really know why it was necessary. Um, we don't really have an understanding of how evil President Snow is. We really need to understand as an audience that. Oh, we don't at this point. Okay, because I thought I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, and then also um, when they send Prim in to go and talk to Peta, it wasn't actually Prim. It was a a guy by the name of Deli Cartwright from District Twelve. So, and I think the reason they didn't do that is because they didn't feel like introducing another new character. It was like, let's just take somebody they already know. Um, rather. And it helps remind everybody that Prim is important to Katniss, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because otherwise, with the break it, in the two movies, you sort of lose that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think what kind of freaked me out more about Snow in this movie was his twisted enjoyment uh, of Coin's ascension and figuring out that his arch nemesis was essentially as evil as he was and what that would do to Katniss and the just the ex- extreme pleasure he took in making that very clear to Katniss. Oh, he's very Palpatine. What I never, we thought we agreed we'd never lie to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we also Palpatine, he's always telling Anakin the truth. And that's what Snow's doing the whole time. And Coin's lying to her. Oh, yeah. And um, one of the other things, too, that was really cool to the movie was how bloodless it was for the things that happened. And the second time I watched it, I, because the Bog's getting his legs blown off, is you can barely tell in the movie because they frame it where you're looking, the camera's looking at Katniss, looking at Peta, and hit, the explosion is off in, you know, it's not in focus. And then she runs up and you don't really know that it's, it's hard to tell if you just are, because a lot of times in war movies, they'll be like, okay, we're going to show you everything. And they don't show that. They show, you know, the lieutenant tying the tourniquet, and but it's from the other point of view. So I appreciate that they, you know, a lot, a lot of the stuff that happened was bloodless and they chose blood to use blood in very sparingly to make a point, which was lilac coin laying on the ground, <laughs> which is interesting because she was always in these not color, you know, and then she goes into a pastel when she rises to Ascension. That, that color really um, stood out to me that she chose to go from grays to into this now a pastel color when she takes charge or tries to take charge rather 
Mm-hmm. Now, I I have to ask Riley, because he hadn't read the books. Were you anticipating that she was not going to shoot Snow and that she would shoot Coin? Oh, no, no. I knew exactly who she was going to shoot. It's it's hard not to know when you watch the film, because there's uh, – you. I think really from the moment where she sits at the table and says, I'm going to do it, I'm immediately suspicious. And then the, the way that it's theatrically set up, it's uh, I'm not sure exactly why, but I knew the second you see the – arena and the execution set up like no she, there's no way she's going to do it because there's, there's one thing that Katniss is not really known for it's doing exactly what everyone expects <laughs> when she goes rogue right what is it Plutarch says I, I, I hate it when she goes rogue or something exactly. <laughs> yeah. so um it was not it was not a surprise at, at, at all but it was a it was a it was a weirdly it was a weird moment. It was, it's really weird because it, it, it's like it sucked all the o- oxygen out of the momentum of the film. And, and you're just like, well, now what? What happens now? And there isn't really an answer. So were there any other huge Finnick fans? Yeah. Oh, my who, God. I love Finnick. Who took, who took their uh, their tissues and it was, I thought he considering that when Katniss meets them in the in the books, the first time she meets them, he's such so she sees him as shallow and this manipulative person who just you know sleeps around and does what and takes whatever. And he's the one who's proves to be the most almost humane person in the group, where he's you know trying to reconnect Peta and trying to give them ways. But that's through Annie. You realize that he's so hard and gaunt. He went. He was so much into the rebellion all about Annie and but he's there willing to fight this fight and then he's trying to help PETA reconnect through this trauma and bring him back and offering all these things. So I just thought it was really interesting to see them and and then of course he had his epic trident swinging yeah. butt <clears throat> smashing and I just oh I my hands were shaking when that came. I knew it was coming but it still hurt. It definitely hurt, that's for sure. I mean, Finnick is, he's one of those characters you're just not sure you're going to like, and exactly like everything you said, Trisha, and, you know, it's, the mutts looked different than they, I thought they were going to, and I almost was like, zombies, zombies is getting eaten by zombies. Does anybody, does anybody watch The Walking Dead? Oh yeah, that's why I was like, zombies! Yeah, it's very, very reminiscent of the of the genre, and I feel like Finnick was is throughout the whole series is a much needed, very pure of heart, noble character in a way that none of the other leads are, and I, mm-hmm. it, it's needed because well, like Peta used to be, but then come Mockingjay Part Two, that ended, or Part One, excuse me. Yeah, well, and but it's also they the one thing that Katniss keeps reminding him and when she, you know she says you're kind that's what she keeps trying to tell him who he is you're a kind person not you're you know you're a warrior or your savior or anything else which i like that reinforcing that someone who could just be kind as an individual can end up you know he ends up with a girl he ends up surviving he he does fight for himself when he needs to we get to see the the strong Peta in the moments down there in the tunnels when he's hurling a few of them around uh, in that battle. So you know we get to, he gets to be all those things, but most importantly that he's kind. And you know that's not typically 
the kind of the archetype that's set up to be rewarded in in movies or books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fortunately, I mean, like uh, he he was so rewarded at the bottom of that uh, cesspool of zombies that just tore him to pieces at the end. I why do they do it? Uh, why do they do it to me? Yeah, it, for me, it was like. <laughs> When he got married, as soon as he showed up to go into battle, I was like, I, I couldn't remember what happened to him in the books because it's been so long now. I was like, as soon as he showed up for battle, he's going to die. Like, oh, oh, man, he's going to die. and I'm not going to like it. <laughs> so, I, I, it, was, it was a very depressing but very good film is basically what I, what I walked out of the theater with overall. Uh, a lot of food for thought. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the books, you know. They they end that way. Where I mean, you're not going to end with, like, this great big feeling of happiness. It's just more of, like, a relief that, you know, they made it out of there, that they're together, that they're peaceful, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. One of the things that I've, I've find is interesting for just watching it in movie form because you don't you can't just sit and read a book and study it I mean you can but it's going to take a lot more time than it would to see the themes just sitting down and watching eight hours of movie as you start to see the 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 things that are I mean, they talk about it in Star Wars they have the ring theory that Mike Klima's ring theory where things progress and they work back through films and you can see like the Nightlock is uh, way out of the games that they kind of, you know, Katniss and Peta try to pull at the end there with their little, well, we'll give you our Romeo and Juliet and kill ourselves. And then that Nightlock becomes a, a tool in the last movie as a way to, you know, Peta wants it so he can kill himself if he needs to. Gale gives his pill up and then is going to get captured and Katniss chooses not to shoot him. So there's uh, you know, all these different ways that the, the story mirrors itself. And it'll be cool to see people come back later on and be able to really analyze the books in even more detail by using the film as a tool to, obviously, I'm sure that Suzanne Collins understands all that, but maybe not everybody who's even just read it a few times or one time is going to see all the beautiful things she did as a storyteller. Yeah, and you know what's one thing I would kind of like to comment on? Because you actually just brought up a scene that I think was really funny for me. Um, When (laughs) when Peter's asking for a Nightlock pill, and this is before they give it to him. And he's like, you know, I'm going to, if it gets to that point, I need to be able to just kill myself. And Gail goes, if it gets to that point, I'll kill you myself. And I was just dying because of the triangle, you know? And I was just like, <laughs> that's funny. I don't know. And then there's the scene where they're talking, where Gail and Peter are talking. And they're talking about, like, well, she really loves you. No, you won her over and all this stuff. And then Gail's like, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, If I don't think all three of us are going to make it out of here. But if we do, it's not our problem, right? Like, she has to decide. It's just like that is such an like in normal life like that conversation wouldn't happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but you get people into a room where there's nothing else to do but talk about how we both love the same person. Uh, and the fact that she was awake and listening to it. I mean, I don't know if you guys thought it was as funny as I did, but 
I I thought it was pretty funny. I I was more like rolling my eyes a little bit, like really, you know, all of this is going down, and this is what you choose to talk about. Yeah, well, they probably they probably ran out of things to think about. What did anybody else experience in your theater? The strange giggle fits that I had in mind during some of these scenes that were supposed to be really tense, like even the before they. Sh- when they did the, let's see, when they voted on the Hunger Games, I'm trying to think other things, before Finnick died, there were people in the audience who were, gig- it, was, it wasn't giggling because it was funny. It was giggling because it was uncomfortable and there's energy needs to go, emotional energy needs to leave your body. But did anybody else have that in your theater? I don't think I did, but um... oh, yeah, we would have remembered it. I mean, it was so, it was so weird because people would just start giggling. They're like, my gosh, why are they giggling? And then you realize that it was because something really bad was going to happen and they were anticipating it. Yeah, they didn't have a lot of those big moments to where you could like kind of let loose and be loud and be like, (gasps) you know, and just kind of like let your emotions out. So I could see that happening. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, I I think that there must have just been some weird people in your theater, Tricia. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's South Florida, so guess what? We're <laughs> we're we are weird central. <laughs> Luckily, there wasn't the moments that I know are going to happen in the Force Awakens, which is when people are laughing and screaming or yelling because there's something on screen and we can't tell what like the next ten lines of dialogue are. So no, it's I know. Uh, again. I mean, I know if, if we're not going to go watch it again, but still. I know. There's always this thing you're like, oh, what's happening? Wait, what did they say? Oh. What did they say? Yeah. Yes. Oh, especially like I'm interested to see about how. What's funny is if I could kind of make a connection between the two, uh, which you know, it's, if it's me, it's I'm going to make it. Go for it. Um, what's interesting about this entire box office season, uh, as we get ever closer now, 20 days until The Force Awakens hits theaters, is that the entire box office has been way down this season. Uh, we had. James Bond come out, but it was the lowest one of the Daniel Craig in terms of grossing. I mean, it did okay, but just kind of moderate. Same thing with this one. This is the lowest grossing of the um, Hunger Games films, which is not, nothing to sneeze at. Still like a hundred million, but um, you get the, you have you've had some absolute total flops in recent weeks that just keep happening. And it, I'm just wondering if everyone's at this point just waiting for Star Wars. Well, everybody spent their money on five viewings of Star Wars already. So, fifty million dollars already pre-sold in tickets. Insane. Um, but and and I, I get, oh and, and I I don't know where we are. I love are in how terms we of, inevitably started talking about Star Wars. Well, <laughs> I'm afraid that uh, uh, Teresa's going to wrap us up or something. Before we go, I do it. I have to absolutely just another huge shout out to um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence's singing voice because. Man, she's good, and I love the song in the end credits. How about just a shout-out to Jennifer Lawrence as a person? Yes. Because mm-hmm. she does such a great job with this character. And to be honest, I have enjoyed watching her go on the rounds of talk shows talking about this movie because I just can't get enough of this girl. So I'm planning on seeing Joy. It comes out on Christmas Day because I, yep. I need some more Jennifer Lawrence in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, they picked the right girl. I mean, I remember the. I mean, I remember there were fans who were literally throwing themselves down in fits when they announced the casting of this movie. And I think they picked the right person for their job. This is 
it wasn't going to be an easy movie to go through. And I like the whole, I mean, every time they went out with, you know, the whole, you know, the trio of them and just talking about it. And they obviously had fun and built a bond and, and the movies meant something to them too. Yeah. So. And I think that's important. Oh, absolutely. There's this beautiful piece on BuzzFeed um, that highlights some parts of a goodbye letter that Suzanne Collins posted um, on the Scholastic website. And and I'm just going to read this last little bit. It's just a brief paragraph, but it's so it's so touching in some ways, and it kind of helps me appreciate Hunger Games in a way that I wouldn't just as a normal, uh, I think, moviegoer. Uh, but she caps it off saying, To all readers and viewers who have accompanied Katniss on her journey, thank you for playing a role in the Hunger Games. You're truly part of a great experience. And uh, and I think I like that. I, I, from what I've seen, even briefly, of Suzanne Collins, it's, it seems like this is a series of books that's it's undeniable how much it's really uh, touched the public's uh, consciousness in a way that uh, is pretty rare these days. And also, and I think in closing, we all have to just admit the absolute drop-dead gorgeous Natalie Dormer, just once again, everybody. <laughs> uh, the true savior of uh, the entire movie, just because because Riley thinks she's really pretty, so, so there's that. And she got to put her camera or her directing down and pick up a gun there, too, mm-hmm. at the end. And yep. she also said she liked doing this movie because her role didn't have anything to do with her being a girl in somebody else's sight. So, you know, have to do with the man. It was just her being a person in a movie. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Do Teresa and Bethany, as... The, the readers of the books, do you feel like this movie was made for movies or for the fans when you were done? I'll go ahead. Um, I, I feel like it was made for fans um, because I think that's what they really catered to. And, you know, I don't think it was done as like just to do cinema. It was done a lot of the way Harry Potter was done. Like, although Harry Potter was really done to be great film but it was also done for fans. So I feel like this one was maybe more fan-focused. Bethany? I think it's it's more fan-focused as well. The, uh, the I mean, there were complaints by critics and some viewers about the film and the way that it ended, as well as some of the pacing. Uh, but I think it, um, it stayed true to the core elements of the book and thus was directed more for the fans. However, um, I think that's also because they realized it would still make a successful movie that way. If it had come down to it and the book had been something that would have been awkward to try to translate to screen, then I think they would have changed it. But that wasn't the case. So they they had the story they wanted to put into film uh, within the book. And how do you feel? I mean, I know, Trisha, you read the books. Yeah, I think this was a movie made for the fans. They refused to go into the the, the tropes and the ways that the what this was probably thought of. It was going to be a war movie or an action movie. And they just stayed true to always turning it back to Katniss and making you you know, go into that focus or remind you what characters are going through during war and, and not giving anybody, there's, there's no fairy tale in there. There's no, even though they're together, that's not necessarily a happy ending. She's getting a chance to continue on. And 
you know, so those, those are the things that, you know, remind they're making a statement. Everybody can make a difference, especially now in, in these moments. I mean, they, they decided to pull back on their red carpet after Paris, the Paris attacks and they filmed in France. So I think they felt a special affinity to that area and that they, they were able to just say, okay, we're going to forgo some of our marketing and some of our plans and, and be true to what we're trying to say about where the place we are as human beings and in the world is we can't, don't forget that the, you know, a lot of times there's people in power who are making all the decisions and there's other people, you know, that 1%, that's what Katniss is, right? She's, you know, there's the 1% in the capital and then Katniss is just the every person who's there trying to get along and get through these horrible moments and not be a victim of, of them. And, I mean, she is, but she chooses not to, to lay down her life and become wallow in her being a victim. So she keeps moving on and making decisions. Mm-hmm. So I guess as we wrap up here, um, where is everybody as far as their team? Are they Team Gale or Team PETA? I think I already said I'm Team PETA. Um, for the movies, I'm Team PETA anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's kind of funny. I'm I'm the same way. I was Team Gale through the books the entire way. In the first movie, I was like, oh, I don't know. But uh, for the movies overall, Team Peta. I'm Team Katniss. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I we're I'm such a I'm such a shipper. I'm and I believe in shipping characters that 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 there's always putting two people together makes. You know, it's like chemicals. You put two chemicals together and something greater happens. And I, if that happens with PETA and Katniss, but it's ultimately I wanted Katniss to be happy. Gail would have been what I probably would have chosen if I were writing the story and it were and I could end it however I wanted. But that's kind of the beauty of this. She was writing the story and she wanted to make a message and I was rooting for Katniss to get whatever she wanted. But I was rooting for Haymitch and Effie. Oh, yeah. And that scene was a ad lib. Uh-huh. <laughs> and God bless them for putting it in. So just that little kiss, just that little kiss gave my shipper self went, yay. How would you, so. what would you name Haymitch and Effie? Um, Heffy? 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 <laughs> I, I don't know. I That's think, the kind I of think tough Heffy one. works. Effie. Like- All right. Like All right, Riley. I, yeah. I I understand that you like Katniss. I get it. But you have to pick Peter or Gail. Team it's Peter or Team Gail. Team Cressida. Team Natalie Dormer. All the way. Uh, no. or, pick one. All right, um, <laughs> uh, team Peter, because uh, I would have to just really appreciate um, a good, a great comeback story, and I think that's that's what it, his was. In a, in a way that, uh, as much as I felt like Katniss was the one who really needed the comeback story, because she'd gone through so much, but it seemed like um, Peter was the one who could uh, truly do it. And, and also, speaking of which, there's this great video that's on the front page of YouTube right now, because it's got so many views, and it is literally just every time in any of the movies, Katniss says Peta, and they've superimposed a slice of pita bread into the scene. <laughs> and it's hilarious. Oh, that's funny. I have to go look for that now. <laughs> Well, awesome. And the thing with Peta too is that 
especially in the movies, I feel like Peta is actually. See, now you're going to be thinking of the bread every time good. you say it too. I, I think Peta is Delicious. actually good for Katniss. Uh, I know plenty of gluten. You got <laughs> it's very good for. Okay, sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, he he actually. I don't think that either one of them are necessarily the better half because uh, he softens her in a way that she needs to be softened. Uh, she's right and very uh, perceptive about her own flaws when she says that he is the kind one. Um, but at the same time, she's the one who knows when she has to pull the trigger, uh, literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she She is the one who, when those little kids come running in and say, we want more candy and stuff. Peter will be like, oh, okay, you can have more candy. And then they ask for more and Peter will be about to give in. And then, and Katniss will be like, nope, no more. And bedtime. So, you know, she's, she's the one who will bring a needed, uh, <laughs> sternness and, um, decision making that's, uh, firmer and faster to the relationship, and Peta will be the one who softens some of her hard edges. Uh, so I feel like they're kind of perfect for each other. Katniss even mothers her mother. That's true. Telling her, telling her mother what to do and not do, I think, in every movie. <laughs> don't do this. Don't do that. Don't cry. Don't well, look I mean, at me. They're a family full of PTSD, you know, because yes. her mom's the same way. Um. Well, I think that brings it to the end. Um, our friends from the Star Wars Report, what is going on with you, and what do y'all have to plug? Well, I'm glad you asked, Teresa. Let me guess. <laughs> Star Wars Tonight? Uh, you know what, Teresa? We should totally do, because you think about it, there's only like 20 days left, and there's, you've got to do, there's, someone has got to help the people past the time until the next Star Wars movie hits the theater. Somebody should totally do like a, a like maybe a nightly, what do you think, Bethany? Nightly yeah. cast? Yeah, yeah. like yeah, if, like a nightly podcast up until the release of the film. I think this is a great idea. But wait! Somebody already did, and you can go find it on iTunes right now. It's <laughs> called Star Wars Tonight. It features me, and it features four different co-hosts, Monday through Thursday, every night, talking all things Star Wars. No spoilers, just helping you Pass the time until The Force Awakens hits theaters. My one plug, Star Wars Tonight on iTunes. Uh, the goal is super secret. If you like Star Wars, go listen, subscribe, and then rate and review. Because uh, the number one thing is to get this thing on the front page of iTunes before the movie comes out. And we are well on that train. So help us out. If you like Star Wars, uh, just search for Star Wars Tonight on iTunes. <laughs> oh, goodness. Bethany, what do you have for the people? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Bethany L. Blanton. Follow me there. <laughs> All right, Trisha, what do you have going on? I, I mean, I know, but what do you, they don't know. I have many things going on, but right now I am in a battle with super fans doing tickets to The Force Awakens uh, on for, through Subway. So if you see me tweeting about Subway on Twitter, like it, favorite. We may all get to have the experience. But other than that, yeah. Um, follow me on at Fangirl Cantina. There I am everywhere. Teresa. 
And you can follow me everywhere on the internet. I am at Ice Cold Penguin. If you want to learn more about what we do here on Fangirl Chat and what we do with our other Star Wars-focused show, um, Fangirls Going Rogue, just go to Facebook.com slash Fangirls Going Rogue, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FG Going Rogue. If you want to send the show an email, just send us an email to FangirlsGoingRogue at gmail.com, and we will flag it as a Fangirl Chat email, and we will read it on this show. So until next time, we really don't have an ending for the show, so I always pick one theme to whatever we're talking about. Today, may the odds be ever in your favor. Bye, everybody. Thanks, guys, for listening to another exciting episode of Fangirl Chat. If you want to find us on the interwebs, all you have to do is go to Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me, Teresa, at Ice Cold Penguin on both. If you want to find Trisha, she's at Fangirl Cantina on both as well. So we hope to hear from you guys. Send us an email to fangirlsgoingrogue at gmail.com if you want to talk to us about our Fangirl chat shows, and we will be more than glad to read your emails on the air. If you want to see us on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash fangirlsgoingrogue, and you can find not only that fangirl chat stuff but all of our star wars fangirl stuff as well for trisha fangirlblog.com and for me fangirlnextdoor.com go and visit our sites and join in on the conversation so thanks guys again for listening and geek on